thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to Wellness Women Radio with women's health experts, Dr. Ashley Bond, the pregnancy and birthing guru, and the queen of hormone imbalances, the period whisperer herself, Dr. Andrea Huddleston. They're raising the bar for women's health by bringing you the most up-to-date health and wellness information to live your best life. Now, onto the show. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hello and welcome back to Wellness Women Radio. You're listening to Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And uh, guys, thanks so much for joining us again. Ash, I was just looking at when we actually last recorded and it's been like eight weeks <laughs> since we've since we've recorded, since we've released anything. And uh, that certainly hasn't been intentional. So guys, we're so sorry if we've left you high and dry there. Um, I think I have been sick like every second week. Um, and then we've had some big events that we've just had to get through, but we're back. <laughs> I hope so. I'm like kind of that feeling of, I, can't, I was missing us. I was missing us you know, having a chat and hanging out and uh, recording on something interesting. So I'm glad, glad you're feeling better. I think, well, my voice is croaky tonight, which is so funny. It's like, seems to be opposites. <laughs> you get well and I get a croaky voice. Are you contagious? <laughs> oh gosh. Who knows, right? Yeah. I've never, ever been sick like this in my life. Um, so it was just, you know, literally every two weeks, some sort of virus going around, but also maybe that's, um, just the fact that our borders have been closed for so long and we haven't had that normal, um, sort of exposure to things that we would have before. I don't know. There's, there's a whole bunch of reasons why I'm sure, but, um, I'm fine now. (laughs) Good. And Hey, congratulations. I am so, so excited for you and the launch of, uh, lots of cool stuff next year. We had a big 
big event on the weekend and Andrew announced that she's going to launch a, a Diplomate program for chiropractors to learn all about women's health and fertility. So I think I'm kind of like more excited about that than anyone because I feel like I'm going to put my hand up and say, can I be, can I be in the first cohort? Oh, yeah, Ash, of course you can. Um, th- yeah, that is, it still needs a lot of work, but anyway, I'm not excited about it yet. I will be, uh, but not yet. <laughs> oh, I can't think of a better teacher. So I'm really glad that uh, you've stepped up because uh, we definitely need to learn more about women's health. And that's why tonight we're doing a topic that is something we get asked a lot in practice. And that is um, the question of you know, how do I know when I'm ovulating? And I think I'll, I took it a step further when I asked Andrew the question of, well, what about for all the women who have irregular cycles? How do they know when they're ovulating? Um, and I I know, you know, some of the advice has just been like, have sex all the time and then you can't miss it. And I'm like, well, but what if you want to avoid, you know, having a child? That's then, you know, so I think knowing when you're ovulating is really important, whether you're going to fall pregnant or not fall pregnant. Um, it's a very valuable tool in the women's health toolbox to know uh, more about your body. So let's talk about ovulation site. I think that's kind of cool. And Ash, it's, you're absolutely right. This information is critical for any woman who is either trying to conceive or actively trying to avoid that. So she might be using, um, you know, fertility awareness methods, for example, as a form of contraception, or she's using this information to try and decode what her hormones are doing because that point of ovulation or whether or not, she, if she is ovulating or not ovulating, is a really um, important key insight into how her body is functioning because ovulation is actually the culmination of all of the steps leading up to and is that final crescendo of this sort of big hormonal peak that has to happen. And then ovulation is actually the most significant event that happens within that menstrual cycle. So it's critical for us to be able to recognize that it's happening, understand that, be able to chart it appropriately if we're using it for either fertility or contraceptive purposes, um, and just know that it's happening. And most women don't actually understand how to recognize these signs, which is why I thought it was important that we chatted about this. Um, and I guess, Ash, also, that was the benefit of, of us having you know a few weeks off because there were so many things that came up that we were like, oh my gosh, we have to record about this. We ha-. And so uh, we've got a list a mile long now of the backlog. So look out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do. And I love that you mentioned how it's, um, you know, a window into overall hormone balance because mm-hmm. a lot of people only associate with fertility, you know, just thinking about, well, I'm not I don't need to be fertile. So why do I need to know when I'm ovulating? But it really is just a hormonal report card. So it is important and understanding the signs allows us to also understand any warning signs if the body's showing um, any changes in natural hormone balance. And I think that is just as important as knowing when you may or may not conceive. Exactly. So there are four key body signs for when you're ovulating. And obviously this ovulation is um, when that egg is finally released from the ovary. And that follicle that develops and um, the sort of uh, the egg that's being matured in that ovary for that final release is going through all of these processes and that maturation process for at least 100 days prior to this. So it's being selected, it's being acted upon, and then finally it gets selected and it's its turn. And then under the influences of this building estrogen, a follicle forms around it. It then um, gets sort of literally spurted out from the ovary. 
Um, and with that, with that big peak of estrogen, we will also see changes in your cervical mucus or, you know, that normal vaginal discharge that you would get. And around ovulation, it turns into that egg white type fertile mucus that is quite, um, uh, there's, there's usually an abundance of it. And it's, you know, resembles raw egg white consistency. It's stringy and flexible. Um, and you might see that sort of on your underwear or when you're wiping. Um, women, it usually, once you see it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, Ash, you're, am I explaining that properly? Oh, yeah, perfectly. I think it just takes okay. um, observations. So if ladies have not yes. taken the time to think about it or notice the variations, you know, you've mentioned egg white, but that in contrast at other times of the month, it's either, you know, creamy or sticky or watery. So it does vary throughout your cycle. And um, if you've never noticed that, now's a great time to sort of go, oh, hang on, just start to check in and, and observe the changes throughout your cycle because that will give you that clue as to, okay, well, what does egg white, you know, mean? And then you'll actually start to notice that when you compare it to when it's not. So sometimes, you know, just on its own, it doesn't make sense. But when you then go, oh, okay, actually water is very different and, you know, the creaminess is very different. So, um, yeah, you didn't think you were going to listen to this podcast and start talking about vaginal discharge, did you? <laughs> For everyone <laughs> listening, they're like, uh, hang on, <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about ovulation. We are, we are talking about ovulation, but you need to know the uh, the body signs. Yeah, totally unavoidable to discuss that. So outside of that ovulation window, exactly as you said, Ash, it will resemble other types of discharge. And usually you will get that egg white type consistency for about three days. And it's that final day of that egg white discharge or that fertile mucus where ovulation occurs, which is why it's also really important to chart this information accurately because you can only know it retrospectively. And then typically that mucus will change to almost like a thick, sticky, um, almost like clag glue consistency up until that period is due. And that is infertile type mucus. Um, now, some of the other changes that the body makes is obviously there's an increase in our basal body temperature. So right before ovulation, your body temp will decrease ever so slightly and then you'll get a spike in your temperature. And obviously, you need to be measuring this with um, like a, an accurate thermometer. Um, and to do your basal body temperature, and basal just means at rest, that would mean measuring your morning temperatures first thing in the morning, about the same time each day before getting out of bed. Um, and over time, you'll see these variations in your temperature. And with ovulation, it will go up between 0.3 to 0.9 of a degree. So it is actually a significant variation for our body when our temperature is so tightly controlled and monitored by, you know, all of those mechanisms. And then that body temperature should stay consistent or continue up until right before you get your period and which it'll drop again. So I've got my aura ring that measures this for me, so I don't have to do anything extra. Um, but otherwise, you can be using, there's a great um, product called Temp Drop, which is just a little wearable thing that you can wear at night around your upper arm, um, which is really accurate. Or just, um, oh, what some of the other ones are Daisy and also just using a stock standard but accurate thermometer orally in the mornings. 
And this is one of the easiest ways, isn't it, when people ask, you know, how do I know? I think, you know, you can go through hormone testing and you can be checking cervical mucus, Mm -hmm. but I think your most straightforward is to track and measure temperature, though it can be influenced by different things. Obviously, your state of health and well-being is reflected in that temperature. So, if you're unwell, um, you know, if there's any infection, uh, if you're consuming lots of alcohol um, and stress as well, you know, with cortisol responses can also influence that. So, um, yeah, just, you know, if you consider lifestyle factors and if you're having a big weekend out and suddenly you've got a variation in your temperatures, then you understand that it's probably the environmental factors that have changed that. But uh, once you track it over months, you will start to see patterns and that's where it becomes valuable information. So I know you always mention how your clients come in with these like big readouts of paper with all their different charts and temperatures. And I think that's such a, a wonderful, you know, compliment that you're encouraging them to show um, responsibility and, and interest in their own body and the challenges that they're facing is something they can solve as long as they understand their body as best as possible. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of base body temperature, basal body temperature. And these trends we sort of look at over time so that we can get a really accurate picture of when that's happening. Um, And the next thing that you can be checking for, and this can take a little bit, it's a bit finicky, so it can take a bit of getting used to, but it's actually checking your cervix position. Um, And when you're ovulating, the cervix will be higher relative to, you know, the other walls of the vagina. It will feel soft and open. So, and that is, you know, certainly for a reason because um, that is the most viable position for sperm to travel through and encourages that transports, as does the cervical mucus as well. And again, you can only know this if you have um, something to compare it to. So, comparatively, when you're not ovulating, um, that cervix will feel low, firm, and closed. So if that is something that you want to be checking, that is obviously really, a really accurate anatomical sign, but it can be a bit finicky for women to sort of look at. But again, another um, sort of change in our anatomy and physiology. And then finally, the other sign that you can look for is what we call as a lymph node sign. So along um, there, there's a ligament that runs from the very front of your hip bone down to your pubic bone. And the front of your pelvis there. So if you like lift your leg up in that crease of your leg, you'll feel uh, a ligament. And along that ligament is a chain of lymph nodes or glands. And so when you're ovulating, you will get some swelling within that, just like you would if you felt um, swollen glands in your neck. So it, it swells like a little sort of jelly marble. And the reason I really like checking this, and I check it on patients all the time, is because it coincides with the side of the ovary that they're ovulating from. So we can sort of watch that alternating from month to month as well because the alternating or that contralateral pattern of ovulation is really consistent with better fertility outcomes as well. So we're sort of just using that for a few different purposes but also to feed back that information to them. Um, So again, just at night when you're lying in bed, having a little feel around the pelvis, feeling along those ligaments and just start noticing if you're noticing changes throughout the month and this is things that you can be um, certainly charting. Now, there's also another sign that a lot of people get around ovulation, and that is pain. And it's so common that they've actually put a German name on this, and I love saying it. It's called Mittelschmerz, and it literally just means in the middle. Um, So that transfers to, you know, translates to the middle. Um, And ovulation pain is very common, but I don't consider it to be normal. It's 
tells me that there's normally a lack of magnesium in the system or we've got some imbalances with estrogen there. And particularly if the pain is severe, then we need to be thinking things like, are there ovarian cysts growing or is there possible endometriosis as well? So if that ovulation pain is severe, we need to pay close attention to it. Um, And, you know, women might um, note that that is sort of like a dragging pain or it can be a sharp pain as well. And then big question, what if you have irregular cycles? How can you tell that you're ovulating? So the, um, the process is the same because even if you're having irregular cycles, so say you're a woman with maybe polycystic ovarian syndrome who has a long cycle, say 40 to 50 days, the process is still the same. These are still the same signs and symptoms that you're going to be looking for. Um, but sometimes you just have to interpret that a little bit differently. So obviously if you're trying to use this information to conceive, you need to just make sure that you're not just trying to optimize that time on day 14 of your cycle because every period tracker app in the world tells you that you're ovulating on day 14, which is smack bang in the middle of a 28-day cycle. But there's only a very small percentage of the population that actually ovulates on day 14. And most of my patients with a 28-day cycle, they actually ovulate later, so between sort of days 16 to 18. So if they just go for gold on day 14 for fertility reasons, they're actually missing their ideal window. So the process is the same if you have an irregular cycle. It's still looking for these same signs and symptoms, but also just noting, particularly with PCOS, the body can attempt to ovulate a few times that month. So you might get maybe one day of cervical mucus, but not followed by multiple, or you might get a slight temp rise, but then nothing follows through from that. So with these sort of cases, then we're looking at, do we need to do some testing to confirm ovulation? And the two things that you can be doing is checking progesterone levels about seven days after you think you've ovulated. And so, for example, if you've got a 28-day cycle, we want to be looking at progesterone around that kind of day 21, 22 mark. Um, And we should see progesterone levels over about 40 for confirmed ovulation and really good levels of progesterone at that stage of your cycle. Because ladies, we've talked about before on the podcast, you only make progesterone if you ovulate. So that would be when we're looking for. Whereas if you've got a long cycle or, you know, a different cycle, we'd want to be testing that progesterone about seven days before you think your period is due. So if you've maybe consistently got like a 40 or 50 day cycle, then just go back about seven days and that's around the time we'd want to be looking at it. Or if it's always completely irregular, then if you're getting any signs of that ovulation, then about seven days after that is when you want to be testing. Does that sort of make sense? Excellent. I think that makes a huge amount of sense. And then I had another question. What about if a woman thinks she's not ovulating? How would you know? Um, Okay. So if uh, a woman isn't ovulating, there can be a few different things going on. So she'll have an absence of, of cervical mucus. We normally don't see any basal body temperature increases or spikes. Um, There'll be um, very low or no progesterone that comes up on that day, sort of 21 or whenever it is that we're doing those tests. Um, The cervical mucus, sorry, not cervical, the cervix position will be low, firm and closed rather than the high, soft and open. It will be low, firm and closed. And she also may have irregular periods as well because there's no ovulation to then trigger menstruation about two weeks following that. 
Um, so those are the sort of things that we'd be looking for. There's also obviously women can use the luteinizing hormone ovulation test strips um, or, or sort of um, sample kits that you can get from the pharmacy. And it's a urine test that looks for that peak in your luteinizing hormone throughout the cycle, which happens with ovulation or just before that. Um, so that can detect a spike in those hormones as well. Um, so those are the things to sort of look for. And if she's not ovulating, then we need to figure out why and address that. I think that's a really, we did some really good wrap up, isn't it? I was thinking how, how complicated we can make tonight, but really it's, you know, it is simple if we know what to look for. So if you use those key um, signs, if you use ovulation predictor kits, you know, if you find other ways of measuring just too complex and you'd rather just a, you know, instruction booklet and follow a process and do that on a daily basis, then that can be really helpful. Um, you know, I think it's just about getting to become familiar with the patterns of your body. And mm-hmm. even when there seems to be no pattern, by actually tracking, measuring and charting, um, in time, you actually can start to, you know, observe patterns. Or if there is a lack of pattern, that's also a great report card as to then determine, well, what lifestyle and, you know, what hormonal influences are there. And then, of course, you know, who can you talk to that could help unpack and uh, unfold what's actually going wrong, you know, in that point in time. And I find me personally, you know, with the clients that I talk to, I would have to say, you know, hands down, stress is probably the number one factor that influences most of the cycle mm-hmm. issues that I see in women. And it's nearly always, um, you know, we, Andrew and I, we talk in a world where it's, you know, positive stress and negative stress. So, you know, you stress and distress, but it is the distress. It's the, the, negative stress responses and you know people could say oh but exercise is stress yes it is but for a lot of people that's a positive stress outcome but too much exercise you know can be a negative stress outcome so that can just as easily affect the cycle in a negative way so just understanding your own personal stress levels is a really big one i actually you know love when you're tracking a chart to also record your stress levels out of 10 you know, because I think it gives you a really good clue as to if there's a month where your stress levels are, you know, peaking 8, 9, 10 throughout the month and then your cycle's all out of kilter, it gives you a really good feedback to help possibly shift or prioritize, you know, lifestyle choices or the decisions you're making or when you're going to say yes and no to, you know, friend requests to go out and have big nights and you suddenly just realize your body's not responding well. It might just help you to make that shift because that connection between, you know, stress response and body becomes quite self-evident. And sometimes mm-hmm. it makes it really easy to then go, ah, that does play such a role in my health because we all have different stress responses to different events. And I find that, um, you know, me personally, as soon as my diet goes off and sleep patterns go off, cycle goes off. Yeah, it is the absolute biggest thing and the number one thing, but also the hardest to address because <laughs> it's multifactored. You know, exactly. And stress can be significant enough to both halt delay or delay of halt and delay is the same thing, but um or to even cause an anovulatory cycle where you're not actually ovulating. Um, uh, because obviously fertility and conception and being able to conceive for that cycle is so low in your body's hierarchy when it thinks you're running for your life, which obviously makes a really, um, you know, clear evolutionary sense for us as well as to how we're designed. So it's a really clever mechanism, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, we're not running for our lives anymore, so we should be getting these things under control. 
Mm. Oh, and before we go, I want to um, – I know that it's something that has come up with clients when talking about the day 21 test. Mm-hmm. And they say, but what if I have an irregular cycle? How do I, you know, judge the day 21 test? Because 21 days might not be in, in mm. timing with when my cycle is due. So exactly. 21-day, obviously, you know, progesterone test relates to you count back seven days from when you expect your – cycle to start and that just allows you then to you know test appropriately with a blood test Um, but I know a lot of people are challenged by that because they go but I don't have a 28 day cycle Mm. so how do I know when to do this blood test Exactly. And so we adapt that depending on their typical cycle length and we'll sort of mm. average it out. Um, because, And we can adjust that, the calculation of the result we get depending on when their period actually started after doing that test itself. Mm. So say you've got a 35-day cycle, then we'd probably want to do that day 21 test on um, probably about, oh my gosh, my maths and my brain have just literally shut off. So we would push that back, I mean, seven days. Yeah. We'd do it about day 28 instead. Why could I not work that out? That's the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> so, um, so instead of doing it on day 21, we do day 28. So do you see we're adjusting that based on their typical cycle length because we want to see progesterone in the peak of the luteal phase. Mm-hmm. And that luteal phase after ovulation should typically last about two weeks. So even if you've got a 60-day cycle, you might have a really long, 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 long follicular phase. And then finally, if you do ovulate in that cycle, you'll normally still get a period about two-ish weeks after that ovulation. Mm. Um, so it's normally the, the luteal phase that's fairly predictable in that sense. Yeah. Unless of course a woman's got a luteal phase deficiency where they've got that really low progesterone and they have that early cycle. But we're normally dealing with women who've got, you know, 21 ish day cycles, if that's the case. So in those instances, we'd probably want to do, um, that day 21 progesterone blood test on sort of day 18 or 19. Excellent information. I love it because as, as you're talking, I'm like, oh, I can see how passionate you are about this. You know, you can really, you know, map backwards for me and then it starts my brain going, oh, what's another question I have about this? <laughs> um, and I the other question I have is about um, the the readings as well, the test results, because I know women who had um, test results where they say, you know, oh, it's all oh, low range, so it means you ovulated, but obviously there's standard clinical range and then there's what you would say optimal clinical range. Um, Do you have any sort of info on numbers that women could be looking for? So I think that anything under 15 Mm -hmm. is is not confirmation of ovulation. Yep. Um, So they they can have had a slight rise but not, you know, I don't think confirmation is is from there. Um, From 15 to 25, ovulation is much more likely. Ovulation is absolutely confirmed if it's over 25, Mm -hmm. but I would still consider that progesterone to be on the lower side and it's not until it's over 40 that I'm convinced that we've got good levels of progesterone. Awesome, because I know a lot of yeah. them will get that low range reading and say, "Oh, but the, you know, I was my GP told me that I was ovulating," um, yeah. and then you look at the sort of data and realise that's probably less likely, um, particularly when it's well under forty. 
And I've got pretty high standards for that. So, you know. Um, and you're looking at it from optimal fertility there, you know, from that standpoint, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, optimal fertility, optimal hormonal balance, but also because progesterone we use not in isolation to everything. So it's the ratio between your estradiol or your estrogen and your progesterone at that point in your cycle. That is why I like progesterone to be about 40 because, um, you know, if your estrogen is much higher, we need to have those ratios right so that we're still, you know, healthy, hormonally balanced women. Um, so absolute um, confirmation of ovulation, really good progesterone levels, in my opinion, is over 40 on that day, 21 or the equivalent of that. Beautiful. I think that's, you know, again, just good reminder that sometimes the standards that we are given that we, you know, come to accept are not always the best standards. So looking for people who work in the fertility space, you know, who specialize in fertility medicine to allow you to realize that sometimes, you know, if you've been trying um, to achieve uh, conception and it's not happening, then it could just be that the, the standards you've been given are not actually optimal for your body and for your overall health and well-being. So yeah, I hence the reason I refer all my clients to you. But anyway. <laughs> oh, I actually know all this stuff. Uh, I um, do, but you know what? I just I just love that um, it's your jam. You, you do it uh, with such ease and, um, you know, women have such beautiful outcomes with you. So I'm very grateful that you support my clients in that way. So ladies, if you're having any challenges or concerns, Dr. Andrea, is always available. She does do Skype consults. This wasn't meant to be a shameless plug, but I just think, you know, I know. For, well, for a lot of people, they don't realize like and they're, they're hearing this conversation and going, oh, that's amazing. Like, who should I go and see? <laughs> My first answer is, well, actually talk to Dr. Angela about this one. Um, and, you know, of course, there's some good fertility naturopaths and, and clinics where you can find practitioners who specialize and have, you know, great depth of knowledge in this. But um, yeah, if you have any concerns or questions, do shoot us uh, a message or let us know so that we can respond. Or if you have any other questions that have come out of this conversation today um, and you'd like us to, you know, run another podcast on something that's got you curious, we'd love to do that. So please feel free to drop us an email or shoot us a message on socials and we'll get back to you. And then if you're using this information for fertility and you do conceive, then once you're pregnant, then you can go see Ash because that's oh, yeah. her jam. <laughs> exactly. Yep. I'll do the body work once you're pregnant. <laughs> and uh, ladies, I hope that, you know, you, you love hearing our voices again. We kind of love being here and sharing this time with you. So thank you very much. It's really appreciated that um, you join us on this journey. And we hope that we help you, you know, see opportunities to upgrade your life and, uh, you know, find yourself in the, the place and space in your life that you know brings you joy and happiness and I think that hormone balance is a, such a huge part of that so um, stay on that journey because it's absolutely worthwhile I know both Andrew and I have been on these journeys through our lives already and I think you know as time goes on we'll continue to have those challenges that come up we all do it's a you know kind of a, a woman's journey to to seek challenge through her cycle but um, you can master it and that's the beauty of it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Ash, what a good place to end off. Now I've got to see if I can remember how to do an actual sign off now because uh, mm -hmm. it's been so long. <laughs> so ladies, you've been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are the wellness women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. We are raising the bar for women's health and until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Boston Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.